You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. And today I'm joined by Darren Krakowiak from Cree Success, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Darren. How are you today? Hi, Laurie. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's so great that we can chat. I think it's morning tomorrow for you, and for me, it's yesterday night. <laughs> we have so a 16-hour time difference, which makes finding a time quite difficult, but I'm glad that we've uh, we've achieved that today. Me too. I've been a great follower of yours for quite some time, Darren. Uh, I guess at least a year since you've really dove into Cree success and have often shared a number of your insights and articles on LinkedIn. So I'm delighted to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Darren, one of the first questions we always ask our guests, because it's something that is of interest and advice to our listeners is about your career path. And often careers, you know, have a curvy line or you you ended up not where you expected to, to be, but maybe you could just give us a few minutes about your past and your, your work experience and how you got to where you are today. Okay, so uh, I did a Bachelor of Economics, Bachelor of Commerce at university. So nothing to do with real estate and a career in real estate hadn't really occurred to me until I got my first job out of university, which was working for a firm um, which is now known as Urbis, which is a large property advisory firm here in Australia. I was on the property economic side, advising shopping center owners and large retailers on how they can improve their turnover when they open a new store or expand or renovate um, a center or a store. Um, After that, I worked for a company called M3 Property, which is a national valuations firm um, in research, so running their research uh, division in Australia. And then I moved to JLL, and that's where international opportunities started to open up for me. And uh, after a couple of years with JLL, I had intimated that I was interested in moving into Asia Pacific, not too far from Australia, still in the same time zone, more or less. And um, to their credit, they offered me a couple of opportunities and one which I accepted was to move to Seoul, Korea. So in 2007, I moved up there and was working in research and consulting. And um, after the global financial crisis, an opportunity came up to move into tenant rep, which I took. And then eventually I took over um, the leasing business as well. And in 2015, after I'd been with JLL for 10 years, I moved over to CBRE. Uh, At CBRE, I was the country head of the Korea business which was a 300 person uh, full service line business. And, uh, you know, that was a great challenge and a great opportunity for me. And I was 35 years old at the time. So uh, maybe a little bit early in terms of um, having that responsibility, particularly in a country like Korea where hierarchy and one's age is very important. But I'd had eight years in Korea by that point, And I probably had enough runs on the board to, uh, you know, to do the job. And certainly we, we achieved some great financial outcomes um, and also some people outcomes for the business, which I'm you know, very proud of. Um, in 2019, I came back home to Australia. I'd just gotten married and came back with JLL and did a year in the business doing tenant representation. And when I came back to Australia, one thing that I saw, I think more clearly, and possibly because um, I came back to Australia, not in a leadership role, but more in an operational role, um, I saw that there was this gap between um, 
people had a gap when it came to getting support with professional development, whether they were stuck on, you know, trying to find new clients, whether it was advancing a lead into an opportunity, uh, converting an opportunity into a sale, um, managing clients. There just wasn't a lot of resources that I could see out there um, for people in commercial real estate who were looking for it. I could see it in other industries, in residential real estate. There are a lot of influencers and coaches and um, speakers that were covering that, but there wasn't a lot in commercial real estate, particularly in this part of the world. There, there certainly is some in North America. Um, so I saw that opportunity and that led to me launching um, the business CRE Success um, just over a year ago now. And yeah, that's how I got to where I am today. Wow, that's an incredible journey. We could probably have a separate episode just on the evolution of retail and just starting from where you came from and mm. your observations of, of where things are at now. It's, it's interesting to me that you started Cree Success. And what was your inspiration for that? Or what are you trying to solve in the industry that you felt was missing that you're fulfilling now? Yeah, I, I feel that um, there is a lack of quality leadership in the industry. Uh, and that's not to say there aren't good leaders in the industry. I just think there aren't enough good leaders in the industry. And I also have observed that there aren't enough leaders in the industry who are willing to pass on their expertise, their knowledge to people who are the next generation of leaders. And you know, when I came back to Melbourne, coming back to the market after 12 years, was difficult because I didn't have the personal networks and the market expertise that I'd had in Korea. And, you know, I, I saw many people really didn't want to help me. Um, now, luckily I had my years of experience um, from Korea that I could draw on and, you know, some runs on the board there that I could use as credibility to open doors and to sort of make opportunities. But certainly there was this, I would almost describe as a bit of a closed-minded um, or scarcity-minded um, mindset from, from some people just not wanting to provide that support. And um, you know, my sort of approach to leadership has always been to try and help people as much as possible. My success is your success. Um, so I thought that there was an opportunity for someone to provide that leadership in the industry. And I think I've got something to contribute in terms of um, you know, energy, in terms of the way that I approach um, you know, prospecting and uh, pitching for business and client experience, but also some, I guess, less talked about um, skills like personal branding, uh, time management, the, the concept of mindset, which I think is not something that's dealt with a lot in our industry, um, but also leadership um, more generally. That's so interesting, Darren, because it sounds like you're really focusing in on, I'll call it more of the interpersonal success factors, perhaps in addition to the technical aspects. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about, just a moment about what kind of skills that you felt were a void in the industry and maybe were not getting fulfilled by other industry associations and things like that in the past? And I'm interested in your balance between technical and interpersonal. So in the past, and then I'm really interested in the same question, but in the future. Yeah, so I think if you speak to a lot of people who work in commercial real estate, they'll give you a similar story, which is when they started, they got a phone and maybe a couple of um, leads and they were told to get on with it. And there wasn't a lot of um, instruction about the way to go about things. Certainly, I think if people have technical questions about, um, you know, where do we go from here in terms of a lease negotiation or in terms of um, moving a sale forward, they'll be able to get that support. And probably they'll have someone else working with them on the transaction who might be taking um, a split of the fee. Um, but there wasn't 
as I could see, much to be um, gleaned in terms of, you know, well, how do you build those client relationships? How do you make um, a client um, feel like that you have their best interests at heart and in turn make them more loyal to you so that then they will also not only do more business with you, but do more of their business with you and also refer business to you. Um, so these were things that I didn't think were talked about as much. And perhaps, you know, there are people who are talking about those things in a more general sense and providing that input into the industry. But I felt that they lacked some of the context um, that the industry requires. And certainly in our industry, I think there are a lot of people who um, uh, feel that they already have all the skills they need. And if someone outside the industry is going to come and tell them how to, um, you know, how to do it, they're perhaps not as open-minded to listening to it. Whereas um, while not everyone's going to resonate with my style and what I've got to say, I think that some people will listen to what I've got to say just because I've you know, worked for some of the firms that they might respect. So therefore, there might be a bit more um, reception to what I've got to say. I think also I, I saw that um, you know, from commercial real estate, when you look at the availability of resources, when it comes to moving a sales process forward, it was very much focused on the brokerage model. So very much about, you know, how do we move a transaction from here to here? Or, you know, how do we sort of do hard selling? And our industry is evolving a lot when it comes to the proportion of revenue that is generated from non-transaction um, sources. So certainly, um, you know, the global financial crisis showed that the switch towards not only property management, but also um, annualized revenue like facilities management and other transactional accounts, as opposed to one-time transactions, is what really supported um, businesses like your big global commercial real estate firms. When transaction activity stalled, it's uh, the annual revenue that kept the recurring revenue that kept the lights on. So um, I think that there's an opportunity to speak to not only transaction professionals, but also non-transaction professionals who are in a client facing and revenue generating position to help them with, uh, you know, getting the skills that are required to sell in a more confident and effective way. You know, I, I completely agree with your observations. I do think we have a lot of traditional behaviors in the way that we serve our clients in, in this industry. And a lot of it is steeped in tradition or habits of the past. But with everything changing so quickly, uh, you and I had such an interesting warm-up discussion getting ready for today's call. And I remember we did talk about, you know, it's not what you know, and there's so, like knowledge is going to become a commodity. It's really some of those other skills that I think are gonna become more relevant into the future, problem solving, influence, et cetera, that are gonna be the future currency. It's not just what you know, because I mean, Google knows everything and it'll get better and faster as we get into artificial intelligence. I think the brokerage world is also ripe for disruption. There's a lot of, no industry is gonna be untouched by the changes that are, are coming at us. And that industry is no exception. So I, I love, I, I think that's probably one of the reasons that your, uh, your publishing's caught my attention because you really had a very different way of emphasizing and developing skills that really were a, a lot more holistic. And that was the first time that I'd seen that, but really value other skills besides what you know from, you know, just going out and picking up the phone and shaking hands and attending meetings and the normal on the job learnings that we would get 
it, we're moving into a much more sophisticated time with a completely different landscape of skills that are necessary, I think, to survive in the future. And I think that's why you caught my attention. Yeah, thank you for, for obs observing that. Um, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I think the softer skills of, you know, influence, um, persuasion, um, emotional intelligence, these are going to be the skills that employers are going to be looking at more closely in the future. And certainly clients are going to work, are going to want to work with more um, uh, people who can relate to you better, not just someone who can get a result. And while results are still going to be very important in our business, and we are very much a numbers um, based business, there is a need to um, also have those people skills. And I think we've seen in our industry that some people who are very strong transactors are starting to be um, certainly in some instances moved out of leadership positions because companies are recognizing that um, for the greater good of the business that these people shouldn't be managing others because they just don't have those leadership or people skills. And they're starting to elevate people who may not be the best transactors, but certainly have more of those soft skills which are required to not disrupt the culture that uh, companies are trying to create. So that's a that's a real big shift in our industry because it just used to be that whoever was the, um, for lack of a better, better term, biggest dog in the house used to also get to be the boss. Um, but uh, that still exists in some cases because I think some companies are very reluctant to uh, you know, upset the big dog because sometimes the big dog can turn around and bite you. Um, but uh, other companies I think are starting to move into the whole, um, putting that person to one side and just, saying, hey, it's time for you to transition into a transaction-focused role and it's time for the next generation of leaders to come in and um, those leaders have more of those skills, which, you know, is the ones that I like to talk about. And you and I are about a couple of decades or a decade or two into our careers, right? What it, and I'm really interested in that next generation of people that are considering our profession as a career path. And we did have a, an early discussion around social media and its role in career path and navigating the career ladder into the future. Do you have any observations around social media and career and influence and how they're all swimming together into an important attribute to navigate careers in the future? I, I do. Um, I think that it's a massive opportunity for people who can do it well, because not many people in commercial real estate are really focused on building up a personal brand using social media. And I think that comes back to, there's a few reasons for that. I think one is that some people might see it as a little bit lazy. Um, they rather just do the hard grind and they kind of wear as a badge of honor that, you know, I work the hardest in the office. I've made, you know, 400 phone calls this week. Um, and then perhaps not as open to the idea of being able to do something which is a bit more leverage, which is that you record one video or that you you make a post and that it's got this ability to travel a lot further than you ever could as one person. So I think there's that. I think some people are a little bit um, closed-minded. They think of Instagram influencers as, um, you know, sort of people who are very vain, who are posing and trying to get money from big companies or whatever, and they think that that's kind of not what they're about, which I get, but that's not what influence really is. I think that's just a term that some people within Instagram who sell their posts have co-opted the term of influence. Um, but then there's, I, I think, an ability to really grow a network to create a personal, curate a personal brand, uh, to once you've grown that network, to show people within your network, you know, what is it about to um, build um, affinity with them? So, 
Uh, and this is uh, the three A's is something I had a guest on my podcast, Nita Christian, and she taught me this little model, which is you need to build um, affinity. Um, you need to build um, authority. So first of all, affinity. So I feel like um, sometimes maybe I'm not too approachable. So I need to be more approachable, build up that more sort of touchy-feely stuff so people can get to know you. You've got to build the authority so people see you as someone who is a trusted voice in your industry, someone who knows what they're doing. And also you've got to build up the awareness. So that's the third A. And the awareness is just what it is that you're doing. And I think some people use social media and maybe they, they're doing some things and they think, okay, I've done it, it's done. But they don't have the proper cadence, I think, of those three different types of posts. And if you're just posting, say, here's a deal I did and, or this is what I just sold or, um, or if you're posting all pictures of your pets, um, maybe you're fully off, off affinity and none of the authority or the awareness, you're not going to have the right sort of mix. So I think there's this, this mix that you can, um, that you can put into place when it comes to your content schedule. And I think people just don't understand that. And if they understood that better and understood what they um, can do with relatively limited time, it doesn't need to take hours and hours. It just needs to be something that you do. Um, you know, two posts a week on LinkedIn is more than enough, in my opinion, because um, you, don't, you don't need to post 15 times every week like you do on Instagram. Content lives for longer on LinkedIn. I've noticed posts that I've put on that have had likes three or four days after, right? Because it's just, people don't log in every day to LinkedIn like they do with Instagram. So therefore, when people you're connected to log on to LinkedIn, even if something's from a few days ago, if LinkedIn decides that you're relevant to that person, it will pop up in their feed. So I think there's a number of reasons why people don't do it, um, but there's a few reasons or some few, uh, if you like, objection killers for people who perhaps don't want to do it to try and encourage them to, to get involved and to get in the game. You bring up some great observations, and I, I think you're right. I think sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is that uh, it's done for, for vanity reasons, but mm. it has so much more potential than that. Like, um, I know what you and I do is we openly and, and share articles and information on social media, and, uh, you know, it's a very small community of professionals that we have in our industry. And as, as your career path and mine, you, you know, cross companies, you're, you're on the client side, you're on the service provider side, it's, it's a fairly small industry. So to have a personal brand that's elevated of, of, of excellence and credibility that rises above your company is, I think, the future career currency. And like you say, you, you can use it to post pictures of your dog, which to me is a waste. Or you can use it to inform and educate and attract the eye and add value to your peers in the industry. And that is really gonna help you rise above and, and accentuate your, your career and uh, your network. And I, I think all of those are going to continue to be very important in our profession as well. Yeah, and I, I particularly agree with your comment around the ability for an individual to have a strong personal brand over and above the brand of the company that they work for. And I think people do business with people more so nowadays than in the past when people had more stronger affinity to brands. I think consumers and individual customers have just become smarter and they're not going to, you see less people walking around with Coca-Cola t-shirts nowadays, if you like, some people might wear them more ironically, um, but more people are interested in doing business with brands. And there is this opportunity and also an expectation that as an individual, you have a personal brand because you can, because with social media, there's this opportunity to do that. So even if you work for a big firm, you can't rely on the brand um, of the big firm to 
catapult your career forward. And similarly, if you work for a smaller firm, you don't need to feel that you have to fall back on a smaller uh, corporate brand because you can build up your own personal brand. And, And one other thing I would say is that no brand, a company brand is going to fully I believe, capture all of your personal values. So it's better to have a personal brand which cannot be replicated. It cannot be copied. Um, It's unique to you. It can travel further than you. And it's going to be something that people um, who resonate with who you are and what you're about are going to be attracted to. And it's also going to um, not repel, but maybe it's going to be not as a strong magnet for people who aren't a naturally good fit for you. And, you know, Work's going to be much more enjoyable if we can do business with people who like us and that we want to do business with. And that's another thing that um, personal branding does is that it kind of acts as a filter to bring people who are a better match to you to you and to perhaps steer other people in, you know, other directions. Absolutely. It's a chance to have some personality and emote kind of your character and your brand and what you stand for, which I think is really important. Even at a leadership level, there's all kinds of different leaders at every level that are a wide spectrum. It's uh, one of the most interesting case studies I read was looking at different types of leaders for different types of situations. So no one leadership style fits all is what kind of a leader do you need for your business problem right now? And so trying to find somebody with those interpersonal characteristics as well as the knowledge are really is really how you're going to move the needle in that circumstance. So whether you need, I don't know, a, a leader that, you know, your employees relate to and resonate with, or you need, you know, there, there's so many different, you need a leader that's a fixer upper, you know, that maybe they're, they're taking over building a, a, a business that's distressed, or they need to take a business from good to great. And they're one of those leaders that take businesses public. There's such a wide spectrum. And so when you emote your personal brand, people know if you're going to be ideally successful in the role that you're in and what kind of a leader you are. So it's a great opportunity to go far beyond the resume. And And I do think going forward, that social media or some element of that is is going to be part of the future currency. And I certainly know HR organizations are reviewing and vetting um, social media accounts of new hires too. And for myself, it's been a great opportunity to meet to meet great influencers and thought leaders, including yourself, as well as other uh, authors and thought leaders, uh, you know, Rex Miller, others that have been on my podcast and have had just really engaging conversations, meeting them in person, what a thrill, and having great conversations with them at the conference, uh, you know, at the bar sometimes. And just getting to know them a little bit more and learning from their perspectives, it's just really enriching. I'd like to hear, you have such a unique perspective on the industry. I'd like to hear a little bit more, go into a little bit more depth about what you think is the biggest opportunity that you see in corporate real estate going forward and what kind of changes you feel we're going to experience in the future outside of branding, but just the business side. What what are the major changes that you see are going to be the biggest impact on our profession going forward? Well, I know you're uh, a tech nerd, Laurie. So um, I think technology is is would be one to um, you know sort of keep your eye on. And I guess my observation: I'm not a tech head, but what I have seen is that I believe our industry is way behind when it comes to technology. When it comes to the, and I'm not saying that companies are doing a bad job at 
uh, deploying it. But I do think that the message about technology and the utilization of technology is not filtering down to the individual operator level. And there is still a lot of work that's done manually, that's done the slow way, that um, isn't leveraged, that isn't efficient. And there is huge opportunity to create more efficiency in the way that things are done um, in the industry. So, you know, one example I could give you is the use of a, a Calendly link. And a Calendly link is just an automatic scheduler where if I want to have a meeting with somebody, I send them a link and it syncs up with my calendar and their calendar. And it just allows them to pick a time which works for me and works for you. And it's stopping the friction that comes from, well, you know, what time works for you between these times and there's two or three emails that go back and forth that it could take two days just to set up a meeting. And the amount of times that I've sent people a Calendly link to set up a Zoom call and people come back and go, wow, I've never seen this before. And oh, wow, isn't that good? Or, you know, I use it with people who are in different time zones and they don't read the AM and the PM and they get it wrong. So now my Calendly link has this almost in bold letters, please observe AM, PM. Um, so obviously they just haven't used it before. Um, kind of interesting that, that a little piece of technology like that, which, you know, from the commercial real estate perspective, you could use that to schedule inspections quite easily. You could say, you know, between um, 3 and 5 p.m., I'm going to be available for inspections in this street or in this neighbourhood. And anyone who is a prospective um, tenant or purchaser for that property, I'm going to just send them that link and then they can um, schedule at that time. Like that seems like the simplest thing, but I don't see really anyone in commercial real estate really using that. And the fact that when I would send people a Calendly link to set up a time shows me that they're not being exposed to this sort of technology. And, uh, you know, I think in terms of the way that people manage the sales process, um, the use of CRMs most, uh, even when companies do bring in things like Salesforce and other um other CRM systems, there is a reluctance to, to use them because people want to protect their own data. Um, people think, oh, this is just a whole process that I've got to learn. There's not an acceptance or a willingness to try new things that perhaps can be better in the long run. And I don't know where the, um, you know, where the blockage is, whether it's leadership not working hard enough to sell the benefits or whether there's just a bit of a closed-minded mentality from individuals. Um, but if we can clear that blockage and if we can create um, more of a willingness to utilize technology to create more efficiency then that's going to be huge in terms of the ability just to get things done more quickly and that's what's going to be required because um, if your strategy is to work more hours than everyone else in order to be the best um, the bad news is, is that you're going to run out of hours of the day so there's a limit to how much you can do or you're going to run yourself into the ground and people around you are going to eventually start doing things the smarter and more efficient way, which means that people are gonna overtake you. So you've gotta be willing to look for ways to do things better and smarter and more efficiently. And one of those ways is with technology. And I just don't think that we have done enough as, as an industry to embrace it. I think we've seen prop tech, we've seen things like virtual tours, um, you know, in the property management space, we've seen artificial intelligence and property management systems and dashboards. And, you know, there are ways that you can detect you know, if this has happened, then perhaps that means it's one of these problems and we can send in and fix it. That, that's all great stuff. But in terms of at the individual operator level, I think there is still great opportunity for us to utilize, um, utilize technology more. I couldn't agree with you more. I think I hear two themes in what you're saying. One is around personal productivity. 
and some of the tools that enable um, you know, a more connected employee experience and enabling productivity. I mean, we're so fascinated with productivity right now. And to your point, I think COVID was a catalyst for a lot of change. People were working remote or, you know, those companies that were slow to adopt mobility programs didn't have a choice and everybody worked remote or at home and they were living in an experiment of evidence. And those companies that were not ready with tools like Teams or Zoom or something similar and the ability to be able to connect and ideate even virtual whiteboards and Calendarly and, and all of those tools, I think uh, were caught a bit flat footed. And the ones that have thrived are the ones that had those tools available. And I think we're gonna to continue to see that accelerate. I'm experimenting with um, the virtual office, meaning, you know, with those, uh, my Oculus glasses, yeah, yeah. trying to see what that's like. And it's still a bit, still a bit lumpy, but it's cool. It's interesting because you know that they're gonna get better and better at it. Moore's law, right? They'll get better and better at it. That's neat. But I, I love your, your point about the business as well, not just personal productivity tools, but smart buildings. We've been talking about smart buildings for quite some time now, and we're not making enough progress there faster. And I agree. I think some of your observations around IT and the different approvals that are necessary are, I think sometimes projects are unprepared to anticipate some of the approvals that are necessary. And I think sometimes they do it for innovation theater, I'll call it, instead of, or they, they, they're, they're not able to get out of the pilot stage into a more pervasive approach. And I, I think that's gonna change in this decade as well as we continue to accelerate. And I think COVID has been a big catalyst for that. I think uh, certain countries perhaps more than others, but I know certainly in North America, it has been a catalyst for a very different way of working. Not everybody agrees, and no, not everybody will agree, but it's it's really driven quite um, provocative discussion on social media within companies and, and otherwise. I think what, just one other thing I'd say, Laurie, yeah. is that you know I, I fully accept that our business is a people business, and there are some things which you can't uh, outsource to technology. The importance of personal relationships, for example. So. Um, and I know that some people say, well, you know, I can't possibly find more time because I've got to get in front of clients and I've got to um, spend that time to cultivate those relationships. And I, I get that. But what I would say is, is that you're not always just meeting with people. There are other things that you're doing, which you could do perhaps a little bit more efficiently, which would then create more time to meet more people um, or to create more time. So you're not at work so many hours, which, you know, can lead to um, you know, less than optimal outcomes in other parts of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So of all the technologies that you're exposed to, because you, again, you have such a interesting view of the world with Cree success and that reach, what are some of the technologies you think that you're so excited about right now that you think are just at our fingertips? Um, well, I think some of that augmented reality and virtual reality stuff is, is important. I think it's interesting that we've seen a little bit of a, a slowdown in global capital flows because of COVID-19. People can't get on a plane and go and visit um, a property to purchase. And that's accelerated maybe um, uh, domestic capital flows. Um, so there seems to be a little bit of a reluctance to make a decision based on 
um, virtual reality or aug well, not virtual reality, it's more augmented reality really, isn't it? So being able to uh, be in the be in the place and but not have to travel to the destination. So uh, as things do get back to normal, I think that there will be um, less travel than there was in the past. Certainly there'll be less frivolous travel than there was in the past. And I've, in our industry, there's been a lot of frivolous travel that we've done to, you know, one day conferences and, and meetings and stuff like that. I think that will become less, um, less prevalent in the future. Um, but I think that there will be opportunities to perhaps do more inspections and more of that kind of due diligence work via technology. Um, and I think for me in, in my business, it's um, about being able to deliver um, learning platforms through um, like learning management systems, for example, um, via online platforms, which are stored, you know, in the cloud. And, you know, that's the delivery platform, which I've set up for my business and which I, um, I believe that there is more acceptance to because of everything that's happened over the past, you know, 12 to 15 months. So for me, what's exciting is the fact that there is more of an acceptance that not everything needs to be done face-to-face. And that creates an opportunity for someone like me in Melbourne to really create more leverage in my business because I'm able to, um, you know, I've got a membership and so far we've got people from eight different countries as members in that membership. And I just wonder if before 2020, if it would have been possible to convince people uh, outside of Australia or even outside of Melbourne to join a membership, which I'm running, uh, if there was this going to be this acceptance that, you know, every month we're going to meet up on Zoom and we're going to go through a different um, topic. You've always got access to the curriculum, which is there on the learning management system. Um, I think that what's occurred over the past 12 months is going to make people much more um, accepting of the ability to do things online. And I think people probably don't fully realise yet the opportunities that that's going to open up, not only in terms of the opportunities for people like me who are creating, you know, part of my business is, is a digital online business, but also the opportunities for learning that that creates for individuals. And the fact that you're going to be able to tap into so much more knowledge, so much more global capability that perhaps, um, you know, you haven't been able to tap into in the past. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And we're already starting to use more gig economy workers. So, it's hard to find people in certain geographies in a certain city that's communable, that has a certain skill, that's getting harder and harder. So we've actually started to use gig, gig economy workers and some of them are time shifted and they're all over the world. And it gives us a completely different, well, we're experts at it now. So we're a lot more comfortable with it than we were 15 months ago. And you know, it's just becoming normal. And to your point, we, it was nothing for us to get in an airplane to fly to attend a one hour meeting somewhere. And I think those days are gone. But that also, to your point, I think it's just the inception of something completely different. I think we'll be working together quite differently. It'll allow us access to new labor markets and we'll be working together in, in a much more synchronous way globally than I think we ever have. Great point. I think, and I think some landlords, um, and some people in the industry have got a tendency to, um, you know, it's almost burying their heads in the sand, which is for saying, oh, once we get back to normal, everyone's going to be back in the office and, yeah. and everything's going to be fine. I think it's very self-serving in some ways. And you'll see some industry associations um, or some landlords release a survey that says that, you know, 82% of people would prefer to be working with colleagues and stuff. And um, uh, that might be 
they might have been able to get that answer from the survey that they conducted. But I think if you speak to your average individual, there are some people who are quite happy working from home and you know, just the amount of people that are going to be utilising real estate in central locations in the future, um, it's going to be less. And if you look at not only at the individual level, at the employee level, but also there are plenty of companies which are perfectly happy to, and, and maybe they will concede that they're letting go a little bit of some of their culture in order to achieve greater flexibility because it's going to create more sticky employees. It's going to reduce costs when it comes to the amount of real estate that they're having to hold. Um, so there's this, there's a lot happening. And I just think that um, as an industry, some people are embracing it, but perhaps there are others who are, um, you know, not yet fully come to terms with the fact that things have changed and perhaps they won't go back to the way they, they were. I'm, I'm smiling at your comment because you're right. If you if you ask the brokers for statistics, you'll get something that's completely glowing, like you know, 99% of people are coming back to the office and we can't wait. But I think we will come back very differently. The reality is, is that we see talking to clients directly, a minimum of 20% of space rationalized, meaning reduced, and uh, you know, 50% between 20 and 50%. So I definitely think there'll be a reduction. I think that the death of the office is grossly exaggerated, but I absolutely agree with you. I think we'll be working quite differently in the future. Yeah, 99% of people will come back, but it will just be to get their laptop fixed when they need to see IT. That's right, <laughs> exactly. But I think that they mean that they will come back and sit in their same oatmeal colored cubicle yeah. <laughs> or their maybe their cherry wood panel office or <laughs> whatever their, their situation is. But hey, hey, Darren, you mentioned Cree success briefly. And I, I was wondering if maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about Cree success, the kind of learning that's available and just tell us something cool that you're working on right now. I always love to hear what's, what's coming down the pipe. Sure. Well, I think the membership is something that's quite exciting. So this is something that I set up in December 2020. And I don't think that there's anything else that exists in commercial real estate quite like it. The membership revolution that is, you know, going through the economy globally is, um, it's happening, right? And you see it not only through companies like um, Netflix, but also through, uh, I don't know if it's called HelloFresh in your part of the world, but you know, those boxes that you get where you're delivered food every week. Um, if you look at Microsoft and Apple, they don't sell um, their software as a, in a box in a shop anymore that you, you generally get access to it. You pay a certain amount every month. So these are the sorts of changes that are happening in the economy at wide. And I saw the potential to uh, you know, I, I obviously I, I do sell stuff to um, uh, corporates, but I also see this this need from the individual to be able to get access to um, professional development services who are looking to elevate their performance. So I thought a membership was the right way to go. And, um, you know, I've done sort of like a founding members launch back in December, and I'm going to be going a little bit um, wider in terms of the next launch. And, you know, I really want to scale up this platform. I want to um, collaborate with, you know, industry professionals such as yourself, who you know, I might bring in as guest speakers um, in the future. And, um, you know, I want to attract people from even more countries. I mentioned we've got people from eight countries in the membership um, so far. I'd love to have 20 countries, for example. And, you know, I want to build more content. So there's this rich 
um, curriculum that people can draw from along with the, you know, the monthly calls and also um, the community. So the people that are inside the community that are all interested in learning and growing and supporting each other, that's a huge um, value proposition for people to be able to join as part of a membership. So um, I'm quite excited about the membership. Um, another thing I'm excited about is just the ability to be able to deliver um, speaking engagements uh, in person, right? So I did a, um, a global conference for a, um, a North American commercial real estate services firm recently, but that was, you know, via Zoom. Um, I'm doing uh, a couple of symposiums for a, a national firm here in Australia, um, and that's going to be in person in Brisbane and Sydney. Um, so I'm looking forward to be able to stand up and deliver uh, speeches in person. So that's very exciting about what's happening in the future. And I guess, uh, you know, just the ability to have more of an impact to spread the message uh, you know, it's been about a year since I started this business and, you know, there's a lot more work to do in terms of speaking to, you know, people like yourself, Laurie, and, and your audience, but um, in other countries, in other parts of commercial real estate, so getting people to understand that this is not, I'm not just here to talk about, you know, how to, um, you know, do brokerage, I'm here to talk about all aspects of commercial real estate and how as uh, individuals, we can elevate our performance and accelerate our careers and sort of live up to our full potential so we can have the lives that we, we really want. Well, Darren, I couldn't underline everything you just said. I double underline it because I think your, your content is very fresh and it's very objective and it's very holistic. And that's something I really appreciate for our profession. It's not anchored in bias of any kind. It's, it's very holistic. It's very fresh. I love some of the concepts that you're talking about that I think are really at the center of our future. So if you're not already a member of Cree Success, we will make sure that we will put links in the bottom. I'll also add them to my website. Absolutely no problem. I think Darren is going to share a link that I'll send out to all of our members uh, coming up in a few weeks, just to give you a bit of a special deal. Happy to pass that along. But uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Darren's work, I really encourage you to follow him in social media, join, follow him in on LinkedIn and, uh, and join the Cree Success Program because the content really is terrific. And I thank you so much, Darren, for being such an incredible contributor to our profession. I applaud you for standing alone and taking a very different direction and trying to have a very different voice in a sea of traditionalism, which I think is so important. So I'm so glad to have found you and happy to endorse and recommend you and, and pass along your information to our audience. Well, thank you so much, Laurie. It's really a pleasure to speak to you, to somebody who um, has such a great platform and has such a great reputation in our industry. Um, if I can borrow some of your credibility and um, spread the message, um, that's a fantastic opportunity for me. So thank you so much for having me today. It's really my pleasure. Like I said, I, I really love our profession and the people in it. And those that are just as passion, passionate as I am about our future and our profession, uh, we're all kindred spirits on the same topic. And I love how philanthropic we are as well, because it just comes from a place of the heart, how, how passionate we are about our profession. And I thank you so much for being such an ambassador of our profession and helping people become successful in their career in Cree. Darren, thank you so much for being a guest today. It's just an honor. Like I said, we'll make sure we put those links at the bottom, his website, 
when this podcast is published, I'll make sure all of those links are convenient and accessible in LinkedIn. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay curious, everyone. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at laurierowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N dot com. Thank you for listening.